0: I'm Stefan Siddig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. Elena Velasco is a theatre artist whose work encompasses many aspects of performance, production, activism and education. During her 25 plus year career she has devoted her time equally between performance and community engagement throughout the DC metro area with a focus on Title I, immigrant, and marginalized populations. Her directing and choreography credits include work at Convergence Theater, which she co-founded, Cinetic Theater, Keegan Theater, Gala Hispanic Theater, Imagination Stage, Source Festival, Mosaic Theater Company, Avant Bard, and Theater J. And she has performed at the Kennedy Center, Theater Alliance, Discovery Theater, Imagination Stage, Signature Theater Stages, and in several films, commercials, and TV shows. She serves as the co-director of equity, diversity, inclusion, and access for the American Alliance for Theater and Education, and has provided EDIA consultation for organizations such as Theater Washington, Gandhi Brigade, North Carolina Women's Theater Festival, and Southeastern Theater Conference. Hi, Elena.
1: Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm
0: fine. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Today. No
0: problem, and I'm really glad you're able to do this. And and thank you for sharing, uh, you know, your experiences with us here on American Theater Artists Online. We like to uh, talk to people who are in leading figures in contemporary American theater, and in the D.C. area, you've been doing a lot of really interesting work. And and I, I just wanted to talk to you and and get um, to share your experiences a bit with my listeners. So thank you for doing this. Um, so I wanted to first talk to you about you know your what what led you to 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 you pursue your this career in theater. You know you're a director, you're a choreographer, you're an actor, an educator. You've been doing this for quite a long time. And so where did sort of this come from? This passion come from in you uh, for the arts, for theater, and and you know where did that originate?
1: Well, I think I would credit it back to my father. He was a a singer, um, but that was something that he never got to really fulfill as a passion of his. When he came to this country, obviously, there was a need to establish himself and to find work. And, um, you know, when he arrived here, he he didn't have much money to his name and uh, had to learn the language, teach himself to drive, (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the sort of practical things that get in the way of an artist's passion sometimes. So, uh, as much as I think it was something that he did not want to see, I know that I have to credit my father for so much of my love for the arts in general, mm-hmm. because I was definitely in his soul.
0: And your father was an immigrant from what country?
1: Uh, yeah. So my family is from Peru.
0: Oh, nice. And
1: yeah. And, um, so he, when he arrived here, he had, Left behind his, you know, there was a, a couple siblings that were still living. So unfortunately, uh, he was one of eight, the eldest of eight. Uh, yeah. Four of them died in childhood. Mm-hmm. And definitely, yeah. it was, uh, this was an opportunity when he came here. He, he came to the country, you know, by what people would designate as documented means, <laughs> means, sure. I would say. Uh, I don't like to use the term legal because right. I don't think that any human being is legal or illegal, mm-hmm. you know, yes. we all exist, Yes, uh, but you know, but through the documentation process. So he came here to basically start his new life and you know, that, and that's sort of the, you know, where the rest of the story goes.
0: Wow. And so when he came here, he like, you said he liked to sing, he was a singer or he enjoyed yeah. singing. That's great. Yeah. And so do you feel like you get some of your artistic flair from him?
1: I would definitely say so. Uh, In fact, it was funny because I know if I asked my mom stories about my father uh, early on, he actually would, in addition to him working as basically a home improvement contractor, he still Mm -hmm. would do singing on the side and and singing some local clubs and things like that. And, And just before he was going to join a local troupe, In this area whose name i don't think even exists anymore he was diagnosed with cancer so that's when i was about three and that pretty much put an end to any sort of singing except for around the house Uh, but he was a very strong resilient man one of the smartest people i've ever met in my entire life Mm. and managed to go in and out of remission throughout my childhood and kind of push through and you know provide person there's yeah so i think so much of my love for the arts, but also just my determination is so much formed by who my father was.
0: Yeah. And your strength really does, if you have those kind of experiences at a young age, um, it makes a strong person. Yeah. You learn absolutely. to be strong. He really, really
1: important on us was just the need to be strong, you know, strong in this world mm-hmm. and the respect for the things that you have in this world, education being mm-hmm. one of the most foremost. And so, mm-hmm. Certainly, when we had opportunities presented to ourselves to be able to grow and to deepen whatever it is that we were pursuing, he wanted us to take full advantage of it.
0: And it seems like, you know, that is a common trait among um, children of Latino or Latinx. I, I use both, I use all three, Latino, Latina, Latinx. You know, I'm sure I think you do too, right? <laughs> I, I like to use all, all terms. But it's a common trait of, of Latinx, uh, children of Latinx immigrants, that they're strong. They're resilient uh, because I think they learned from their parents early on, you know, survival, being strong. Uh, conditions weren't always easy uh, for our parents, you know, in, in this country. So I think that's, that's. it sounds like you learned a lot of strength from him and his, his artistic flair. That's great. And so in the theater you produce now, is that, um, is it mostly theater that, that deals with those themes, the themes of immigration? themes of of you know of of feeling you know that it's this, this you know you're you're here from another country you're here from another country that kind of or do you do all sorts of theater
1: I'm definitely very much drawn to the advocacy for the migrant community and for and for undocumented individuals as well that's something that lies in my heart mm-hmm. so a lot of the pieces that I will center around you know do reflect those narratives and and invite those narratives in so the work that i've done with convergence theater for example where i am the co-founding artistic director and i'm still artistic director uh, Mm -hmm. those have been an opportunity to shape and present those narratives particularly in the production we have done before which we have remounted a few times called a new nation Uh, It is based upon a model that we call guerrilla theater works where basically it's a, a, you know, they're segmented into these different moments or these different sort of uh, small narratives that all come together, but we could break up as pop-up art. And the idea behind Hmm. that was that we could use it actually as like small pieces of, you know, nonviolent protest or for civil discord Hmm. outside in different locations. It didn't have to be in a theater.
0: Right. Oh, okay. So in Found Spaces, so to speak. So what is the mission of Convergence Theatre? Do you have a a specific mission or is it, has it changed or what was your goal when you and and your co-founders put it together?
1: Well, really my goal was to be able to form a Theatre for Social Justice collective focused on multidisciplinary performance languages that we didn't necessarily have to rely just on verbal text in order to impart and share story and to incite dialogue with diverse audiences. Mm. The idea was that we could use all these different forms of expression in theater in order to engage different individuals. And part of that is because we resonate with different forms of art. They, you know, there are some things that just speak to us louder than others. And also because It transcends language. That's the thing. Simple systems that are out there that are not necessarily tied to a verbal Hmm. form or a verbal codified language sometimes have more impact. And so we really wanted to explore all the different ways to communicate Hmm. and to use that as a means to engage individuals in discourse and dialogue over issues of social conscience.
0: Wow. Well, that, that's a great, great uh, mission and goal. And, and do you do you only work on original works that you create or you devise? Or do you also do classics? Or how do you? What is the repertoire?
1: Really, we just use material that's essentially either completely original, you know, mm-hmm. from things that are devised by the collective, or that are inspired by one individual in the collective who's very passionate about the subject matter that they're exploring, and then we support as the collective, so that they can take the crap, uh, take the um, the material that they are seeking to engage others with. So, for example, hmm. we have one piece that we had produced a couple of years ago called "This Is All Just Temporary," which is by Olivia Holler. Olivia Holler is our connectivity director. And she is, has been a part of the collective for a couple years now. So she wanted to really share her personal narrative about caregivers because in her family, her brother will require lifelong care. And, you know, that's a community that often is invisible, you know, go silent. These caretakers who will need to be around for a family member or somebody for the rest of their lives. Mm. And so She knew the story she wanted to tell, and so our function in that regard was just to be there for her so we could help her continue to evolve this narrative Mm -hmm. uh, and reflect on her own experiences and at the same time think about how to shape it in this art form. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be that extreme, you know, to that that type of process, and other times we have things like At What Cost, which was part of our guerrilla theater works, process where we all came into the room together and shared what we were passionate about with the source of inspiration being just home. Like, you know, we thought about what home meant and how that word differs for, you know, various populations because Mm. home can have a really wonderful, warm quality to it. And home can also be the thing that you run from. So that was our, our starting point. But then everything
0: else was you know created after that Wow so you mentioned a few different pieces you mentioned this is all just temporary a new nation at what cost are these the more recent pieces or are you working were you working on something very recently or what was your latest uh, work that convergence theater has been working on and I wonder also on that same vein if you guys had done any pieces like I, I assume you did something related to what was going on uh, in in the United States on the border uh, with the Trump administration and and everything that's changed there, um, I assume that came up maybe in some of the the teams' um, experiences.
1: Yeah, well, New Nation definitely was a response to that, okay. and that was developed over a period of about two and a half years. And even to this day, it's still continuing to evolve because we have requests for it. In fact. Mm. This fall, we, we were supposed to be presenting at a conference, the Philosophy is a Liberation Conference, that's going to be held here in the D.C. area. Now they're going to go virtual. And so oh. because it's virtual, we're revisiting the piece and thinking about how how this needs to translate now. And, and really, ultimately, we said we we kind of need to look at this in a different lens. Yeah. Because, you know, the experience we created before was very immersive. It was very intimate. I mean, it was... For a setting of about thirty to forty people only, mm-hmm. um, but now that we're on a virtual platform, we started to think: Do we need to address this as you know individual narratives? Half of the piece was non-verbal, it was mm. you know pieces of physical theater and choreography. Mm. Uh, so, how do we shape this into something that still feels very experiential, but something that can live in a digital arena instead? But right. also making sure that we stay at the forefront of that um that approach that we think about what was it that inspired us to just you know to create new nation to begin with Mm -hmm. and where we are now compared to where we were just two years ago when it was first launched yeah and and there's so much that has changed and and at the same time so much that has not changed
0: right (laughs) yeah Uh, and so So yeah, you co-founded the theater in twenty fourteen. So you guys have been around for you know six years now, and so this this presents a new challenge, right? Everything that's happening with uh, COVID nineteen and this pandemic, this 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 brings a new challenge. It sounds like you're already looking into digital space. You're already looking into into how you can at least for a little bit um, move some of the work online.
1: Yeah, we were actually quite. Um fortunate in some ways because we had been working before this hit we had been working with this text called snapshots which is by one of our collective members Mm -hmm. named Asif Majid and he had started as a monologue and you know again as a group we're there to just support that artist and to help him explore the text that he has so snapshots was a piece that was supposed to be a series of conversations between people and it was very different than what we normally would explore as a multidisciplinary arts group Mm -hmm. but you know again we follow the passions and the vision of that artist Hmm. so when this hit we were about to have a you know somewhere between like a stage reading and a performance trying to get it on its feet and we said hey you know one of the characters actually is supposed to be on like a zoom call why don't we just change all of this to zoom calls
0: Mm. wow and
1: it was amazing how Fluidly, it moved from where we had envisioned to where it needed to be. It it was just the perfect fit in that space. So it became this more voyeuristic experience as these two couples started to explore their own identities. And really, the piece is about the intersection of the Muslim faith and LGBTQ identity.
0: Wow. And this is called Snapshots. Now, is there a plan to put this on soon? How do we, if, if I'm interested, in, I, I'd love to see it. Or, you know, where do I go to sign up to pay for it to, 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 you know, is it on Facebook? Is it on, you know, what, 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 what digital media do we need to go to? Or when, or when you think it's going to happen?
1: Well, we did have one performance of it back Already? on March 27th on Round, So it was live wow. stream on Round. Oh, wow. We, we're so excited because this was a, a, a quick partnership that we landed on just about a week before we were going to go in and perform mm-hmm. and it reached 12 different countries
0: nice yeah it's <laughs> yeah, amazing
1: so like holy cow <laughs> yeah
0: suddenly right suddenly you can achieve you can reach so many more people right than just in a theater you don't think of it sometimes we forget about that as theater artists that there's a whole you know world outside of of our theater
1: right and especially for a group that has been so focused on create you know these creations of immersive pieces that are for mm-hmm. intimate settings that might be mm-hmm. community specific yeah for us to all then go wow we have a global reach right Amazing. that's great and so we have another performance of the next evolution of this script on june 12th and 13th again we'll have one of those performances on how around and the other one will be through our
0: Facebook page. So people should like uh, the Convergence Theater Facebook page to get more information, right? So if they like Absolutely. the page, right, okay. And keep scanning and looking for, for information because um, for those who are listening and want to, to watch that, because um, I think people as well as artists, or, as artists are adapting things to online, they're also, the audience is looking for material. We want to watch things. We want to see what's out there. And I think this is, sounds like it. So how round and Facebook. On June twelfth yes. and thirteenth, that's Snapshots. That's the next, the next uh, showing. I guess what do we call it now? The next performance uh, <laughs> of 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 Snapshots. That's great. So you guys are definitely. Um, it sounds like you were already then sort of thinking about how to 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 put some things online, and now you've you've made that jump. Um, are there plans for more uh, things coming up, or are you going to keep going with Snapshots, or is there other pieces that you're working on?
1: Well, we are con- continuing to work on what this new phase of New Nation will be for the wow. digital arena because mm-hmm. we are still in partnership and going to be working with uh, Philosophies of Liberation in the mm-hmm. fall. And and then also just being aware of where we are as a calendar, you know, on the calendar that yep. it's coming up to the election. And given the right. subject matter that we're exploring with it, we feel that that's pretty important to make sure that we have a live stream performance of that as well, not just one that's for a specific community. So... That's our, our next project for Convergence. Um, That's great. But in addition to that, there's just the <laughs> all the other things that I think that all of us are becoming aware as artists, giving ourselves the time and space to explore. How do we now shift ourselves into this arena of socially distanced theater?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a whole it's a whole new world, right? And I think it's interesting to see what different theaters are doing and how they're adapting some are sort of just you know putting a lot of their material online for people to see which is great but there are others kind of sounds like this is the the route convergence is taking which is really adapting to the new medium really really um you know adding like a branch to your to your tree of theater right so now we're going to do this other other thing that we also do and then you know when when we come back, which I know we will, to live audiences, whenever that is, we we can go back to that, but still have this other branch, right? As a, as a global outreach, which is great. Um, I'm I'm so excited that you guys are doing this, and and tell me more about. Um, so so that's convergence theater. Tell me more about. Um, I don't know if you're still working on this, but I read this on your website and found it so interesting. Uh, something called oyeme. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a. You're an affiliated artist and co creator of something called Oyeme. What is Oyeme? And what does Oyeme mean for those who don't speak Spanish?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Oyeme means hear me. And it's mm. a group that is out of Imagination Stage, which okay. is a TYA theater in Bethesda, Maryland.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, this is the program that was started back in, oh gosh, 2014. Yeah. Um, I know, I have to think of many years. So unfortunately, past year, just because I had become so busy between the work I was doing at Convergence and with Synetic Theater, which is another group that I work with, and Mm. then also my position at Bowie State University, where I'm an assistant professor of theater and the program coordinator. So this past year, I have not been able to engage with that as much, but... uh, It's something you've done in the past. And from the onset... Yeah. I'm able to work with this group and it is a theater program that is for the undocumented community of minor students, you know, so they're unaccompanied mm. minors who have, you know, fled to Montgomery County and providing them basically a community where they can come together and explore art as a way mm. to just share a story and, and really find a haven for themselves. It's, it's a really wonderful program mm. that demonstrates to me how necessary theater is in our lives. Yeah. To just have the space to connect with other people because really that's so much of what theater does for us It helps us to connect with others mm-hmm. and be able to hear each other's stories. And it's not that we necessarily started off when we had started off Oyamé thinking the first thing we're going to do is have the kids share their stories. No, it was about building community. It does that Mm. in a really lovely way. And ultimately it helps to build a sense of belonging and then a sense of trust. And after having a good, I guess about six months of that, then we started to teach our students different interview techniques with each other so they could explore like how they can – you know share story and to document story for each other, and always with the understanding of that number one we were never asking anybody personally necessarily for them to divulge things that were going through, they would be very hmm. simple prompts like describe a
0: describe a day when you were really happy um describe your favorite food
1: hmm. uh, you know to try to um you know share with somebody a moment that will stay with you, you know until you're older or that you'll share with your grandchildren. Mm. And slowly when you give the space to individuals to just think about different things and, you know, to have the space to process it as, as moments that are, you know, tied to the senses, you know, things Mm -hmm. such as, you know, what's your favorite food, uh, something, you know, a beautiful picture, What it evokes your memory. And hmm. so slowly, students wanted to open up and, and that they needed that space to be able to open up, and that's the thing.
0: What was the age range of these students?
1: Uh, predominantly, it was middle school to high school. Okay. Uh, sometimes, you know, some students would bring a younger sibling with them because okay. they needed to, and that sure. was fine. Sure. It was a partnership uh, and remains a partnership with Health and Human Services of Montgomery County, so... They have a program called Street Outreach Network where they have a van that will go around to Hmm. uh, gather kids who wanted to do different activities around. So they might have one day where they're doing soccer and another day where they're doing, um, you know, karate. There was an all girls group. And so one day, you know, of the week is for theater. Hmm. And so that's how the kids got together. Not necessarily all from the same school, obviously. Yeah. But, um,
0: and you this, know,
1: they, they managed to find these wonderfully deep, you know, meaningful friendships with each other. That's great. Because
0: of yeah. yeah. But so this is in, you mentioned Montgomery County. So for those listening, that's in Maryland, right? In the state of Maryland. Uh, so um, is there anything similar happening in Virginia, where I live, across the river? Or is that something that, so this was, this is, this was sponsored by, uh, was part, part of Montgomery County's uh, program.
1: Well, this was something that was launched by Imagination Stage, uh, which, which is, is you know, a Theatre for Young Audiences yeah. um, organization in Bethesda, Maryland, right? and okay. so much because they have a, you know, a supportive mm. artistic director and executive director and, um, you know, board of directors who really believe in, in the transformative power of theatre,
0: sure. but there. as far as
1: yeah. having any sort of programs that are set... There's not other ones that I know that really function like Oyame that are in Virginia though I would love to see that.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, there you go. There's your next there's your next one, uh, Elena. <laughs> you have so much energy, you know, it's it's so great. As I as I look over, you know, and I and I've known you obviously from, from before, but but as I was lo- digging more deeply and finding out more about you, it was amazing what what impressed me the most was your ability to do, you know, social uh, theater, theater that, that has that has meaning, theater that affects the community. And alongside that, also direct and choreograph musicals, uh, more mainstream material, your range as a director, as an artist, uh, an educator is pretty broad. And I think that's pretty amazing. You know, you're what I call a hyphenate, you're director, choreographer, actor, educator, you know. Uh, and is, you know, how do you...? How do you infuse? Do you infuse your community kind of theater work and social work into musicals and other more mainstream pieces, or do you see it all as one? How do you you see the various different parts of all the work that you do?
1: Ironically, I think it's because of the way that my teachers have formed my understanding of why we do theater to begin with Mm -hmm. that makes all these different parts seem like they're just one. Oh. And it goes back to a question, and I remember my graduate advisor constantly you know, <laughs> asking me, and she's like, why this play, and why now? And yeah. if I thought about that, it would beg the question of the immediacy of doing that particular story, which to me always means it has to be responding to something that's happening now. There has to be an urgent need for us to share this story. I, I'm a big Augusta Bowal junkie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Augusto Boal was a theater practitioner out of Brazil who was the founder of Theater of the Oppressed. Mm-hmm. And his belief was that all theater is political, which I tend to agree with. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, you know, the theater is this rehearsal for the revolution. So even something as, that seems as innocuous, it's like a little children's play. There are stories that are there to help somebody understand Something about themselves, something about their community, something that they need to be awakened that requires reflection and
0: maybe change. And, and you know, revolution is a dirty word in, a, in the United States, sadly, which it shouldn't be because revolution is what got us where we are as, as a country. It's what founded, it, right? But it's funny, whenever you say that kind of thing, some people. Go, oh, oh. But reality it's about change. In reality, it's about um effecting change. It's about seeing something you may not have seen before in your life or in someone else's life, right? I mean that's the revolution. It could cause a revolution, sure, but that's where it starts, right?
1: Right. Because a revolution could be something within ourselves, it's something mm-hmm. within our community. It's something that, you know, part of that revolution is that it's gonna be evolving, right? There's an mm-hmm. evolution. Yes. That's within that. And hopefully we are always seeking to evolve. Because otherwise we're stagnant, and I think one thing we can definitely tell in this moment in time is that if we were to stand still as theater practitioners or as individuals in our community, if we were to stand still, we would not be lasting right now. We it's, have to be able to adapt and change
0: exactly, and it's that ever that ability to ever change that it's what makes theater interesting, really, and to, to to evoke that change. So, so you you like theater that obviously makes you think regardless of whether it's a musical or it's a it's a play or it's a device piece these are all things that that you just want the audience to be able to to take home that they've learned something new if not about themselves then about another culture or person right is that is that what you're saying is that yeah. you see it all as one yeah I think it's
1: inherent right mm-hmm. yeah. because you know even sure. if we look at something like the wizard of Oz. I remember a friend of mine saying, well, there's nothing inherently political about the wizard of Oz. And it's was
0: like, oh. <laughs> really? um, but
1: isn't there something that you know Dorothy discovers about herself? Isn't there yeah. something she discovers about her own strength? Like, right. isn't that, you know, didn't she have to rise to action? Like yeah. there's something about it and not but
0: trusting false people. leaders. Right. Ryan, yeah. Right. Yeah. The
1: right. guys behind leaders, the curtain. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's so much theater that's coming out now too. I mean, of course we look at Miranda and Mm -hmm. in the heights and hamilton yes you know our calls to number one reflect on where we are in time and if we are asked to rise above where we think we are or to take on more than we think we can so that we can affect change that's that's part of the call the part of it too is a celebration of where we came from right that's what's beautiful about yes. In the Heights. Yes. It's embracing home and all the strengths it gave you because unfortunately, you won't
0: hurt. Well, I'm so glad you, you brought up In the Heights. I was going to, but I'm glad you did first. And, and you know, you and I were working on a production of In the Heights, right, at, at, at Next Stop before this whole uh-huh. pandemic. And I it was really the highlight of my uh, year. And I was so excited to get started on, on work with you. And sadly, we didn't get to yet. But I'm hoping... Well, we'll see maybe that um, in the future, we'll be able to, to do that project. But you know, when I when I first saw In the Heights on Broadway, in, in 2008, I just walked in, I had no idea what it was. And I it was the same day that I had gotten a, a pretty big sort of promotion in my life, you know, in, in my, my job, and, and I was becoming successful. And my grandmother had passed a few years earlier. And all I could think of was my abuela the whole time. And I cried like a baby more than any musical I'd ever seen in my life. And I finally realized there is the the story of the immigrant told, you know, in a way, I mean, West Side Story is something, but, you know, in a way I'd never seen before. And it was so, oh, I don't know. So I would have loved to see what you were cooking up with that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will. We will one day. I know we
0: will. Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah. I think there's something about the fact that it, you know, you reference West Side Story, and mm-hmm. of course, um, you know I. I think there's something that's beautiful, and and so it celebrates something in our history of American Broadway musicals, mm-hmm. and it was definitely a landmark. And yet, that was not a narrative necessarily that was created by somebody from the community. It was reflecting. Mm-hmm. That made that's the difference. Yes. There's, about the voice that creates it and the people Mm. in the room who are sharing this story that makes it tug at your heart in a different way when you are part of that community
0: right and i'd be dying to know i've read several biographies arthur lawrence and jerome robbins and i don't remember but i know that originally west side story was supposed to be about jews and catholics and not about uh, Puerto Ricans, you know, immigrants, you know, and and um, and other others, you know, in, that were already in the U.S. Uh, white, you know, non non people of you know not not uh, people of color. But um, I, I, you're right. The the what makes in the Heights so interesting is that it is written by someone who is the son of of immigrants, right, and it comes from that 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 background. So it's it's you. It has a different flavor feel to it. That's so. Unique, Uh, and you were also working on something at Cinetic, correct? That was a Spanish play.
1: Yes, I was working on an adaptation of La vida es sueño, which was uh, Cadoron, that you know Spanish age of uh, you know Golden Age drama Mm -hmm. piece, yes, and such a such a beautifully heightened (laughs) poetic uh, story that we were making as an nonverbal adaptation. For those who aren't as familiar, Synetic Theater is a physical theater company that's based out of Arlington, Virginia. No
0: words, a, right?
1: And yeah. I mean, there are some productions that they will do that have verbal text and actually- Oh, okay. Um, yeah, there, there are a few, but they really are known for their nonverbal theater. And right. the artistic director, Pata mm-hmm. who has been a wonderful mentor to me over so many years, um, really, when we were looking at this adaptation, wanted to explore us doing verbal text. And I was like, Mm. gosh, there's so many of these wonderfully long, beautiful speeches. I don't know. I, you know, translating that into something that was not verbal. And Mm. he was very open to listening because I said, I really want us to keep this in the language that I know you have now codified. Like, what is Synetics language for this? Sure. But the adaptation being set on the U.S.-Mexican border. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Wow, that us, would have been great.
1: Yeah, it's really was an exploration of, you know, what does it mean when somebody predetermines your fate? Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Because our government is doing that, is predetermining yeah. the fate of individuals who come here seeking asylum.
0: Mm. And, I've, and I've recently become more and more aware of what's going on in the border along with most Americans, or I hope that they're are watching in the news, but but you know with this pandemic and a lot of other things, it's sort of uh, fallen a little bit um, into the second or third place in terms of of the news. I don't see it, you know, up there because we you know people are dealing with a pandemic, which is taking people's lives in a different way, I guess. But um, you know, it's just as as desperate. So I mean, I, I think that once things calm down with the pandemic, this is this is an issue that's not going away. It's always going to be there. You know how we treat. Uh, people. You know, my my, my boyfriend is Mexican American and he's and he always says, you know, when I spoke to his, his, his grandmother who's ninety three, I said, you know, when did you all come over from Mexico? And she said, We didn't. Americans came over to us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: Yes, that's exactly how they talk about it. I have a friend who's down in Texas, and that's exactly how I talk about it. It's like, no, we didn't come over here. You came over
0: here. <laughs> right. You guys crossed the border. Oh, my God, I almost died. It was so right on the money, right? And she's sharp as a tack. So, you know, uh, that production you're talking about at, at Synetic is something that I, I was so excited to see. Do you think there's life uh, later and following seasons for this to, to come back up? I mean, it's such a topic, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm very, you know, blessed to have their their faith and support and Good. we definitely said it's going in a time capsule. That was the way mm. that Jason Ajum, the managing Good. director, had put it, putting this in a time capsule. So much work had already been done. We sure. have a, you know, a set design. Uh, we actually had just finished our first design run.
0: Mm. <laughs> Wow,
1: when when we had to shut down, but sure. there is definite intent to make sure that that story is heard, and I greatly appreciate their faith.
0: Wow. Well, um, I'm sure that'll be ex- super exciting when it is produced, and I'm sure it will be produced because the the subject matter is so pertinent and so relevant to everything that we're going through as as a country and as a continent, you know, in North America. Um, so, you mentioned "Life is a Dream." You mentioned "In the Heights." Um, what were some of the other projects that you've been working on before the pandemic? Well, I know. <laughs> sorry, um, got a little emotional I know,
1: there. I know it feels like, gosh, what's not enough? Ah, you know, to to
0: pull. Don't mean but, to depress you. Know, you sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it's a, there's always that's a thing, right? Is that yeah. we're constantly planning so many years ahead yeah. in yes, some ways same. on these different projects that we have. So and just be rearranged.
0: I, Oh, sorry? They'll just be rearranged maybe in different order.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just be a different you know, arranged in a different order. One of the things that was supposed to happen this, you know, spring mm. and is delayed we don't know how long actually was a senior capstone. And I think that's the things mm. that kind of really hurt my heart a whole lot when I think about the loss of, of time. Mm.
0: And it, this is at your, your your where you teach at, at Bowie State, right?
1: That's right, yeah. Okay. So we have a, a senior capstone that was supposed to go up this semester. It was an, a voodoo adaptation of a theater. Oh,
0: wow. And
1: yeah, and it was not one that I was directing or anything. I'm just, you know, I'm the program coordinator and I teach over there. And, mm. um, but it's knowing that here are these artists that are burgeoning, who are ready to be released, who are graduating now.
0: Mm. And
1: this was their shining moment. And it just mm. was so disappointing to know that they weren't going to have it this semester and so
0: Mm.
1: we at the faculty all came together and said so our commitment to you is that this will get done and that's, I think, where my brain goes when I think about like what else was planning. It's like that, right? Yeah, Celebrating sure. my students' work, oh,
0: and then so thinking
1: about when will that happen. It's going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know. and I think that's great as, as an educator that you that you're committed that way to them. But um, so what what is your role? As uh, uh, tell me more about Bowie State. So I know you teach there. You 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 run the pro the undergraduate program. Well, I'm considered the program coordinator, coordinator. which is you know basically uh,
1: helping to form the schedule and Mm -hmm. you know make sure we have advising assignments and thinking about the producing season over there so Bowie State University is a small HBCU in Bowie, Maryland Mm -hmm. and we are a theater and dance program in the Department of Fine and Performing Arts so we have a lot of colleagues around us we always think about different ways that we can collaborate together and that's part of that program coordinators thinking about how can we sort of interface with one another. Mm -hmm. We have a a thriving visual communications and digital media program that's there, as well as a music program, studio art, um, you know, and a music department that has that focuses on instrumental and vocal performance. So it's this wonderful hub. Yeah, um, and thinking good. about ways that we really are able to share our, our art in that community, and then also how we can share with one another and support each other's work on campus and off campus. Because people that I work with are not just educators. I mean, we are artists, mm-hmm. and we are continuing to explore that scholarship in different ways.
0: Yeah, and and so it's. Do you find that the students respond? To your do you do a lot of this com, uh, the community pieces or the work at, at at Bowie State or is that more of a traditional? Um, what is the program like there? I guess I should say is it a BA, a BFA, and is it a does it have kind of the traditional pieces of a program or is it a little bit more uh, on edge on the edge like some of the work that you've been doing elsewhere?
1: Well, it's a bachelor science program, ironically. Okay. Oh, which okay. Quite I was like, oh, Uh, when I first got there. But when I was hired, it had an approach. It was a bit more traditional theater, but the department chair at the time, Dr. Gail Medford, was really interested in exploring the social justice aspect of theater. So in a lot of ways, I was supported in the work that I was doing and encouraged to bring that in with how I would... You know, shape the content that was both being produced there as well as the content that was used in class. Mm. So, our my first year there, we had a couple different pieces that were done. that might have been considered a little bit more, you know, "quote unquote" traditional, like we did a, a Godspell. But the Godspell we did also was the approach was a little more non-traditional. Like we incorporated uh, street puppets in it oh. instead. Okay. We had an artist from Bread and Puppet Theater. Who, she was a uh, former artist yeah. uh, who trained yeah. with them, Bread and Puppet Theater. Her Thanks. name is Johanna Smith. Yeah. And she came there to do a masterclass workshop and help them develop, you know, puppetry skills and actually to build puppets. So we started to embark on this sort of non-traditional bent, I think, in my first year there. And then the second year that I was there, we actually went through a whole year of devising where they created their own work, which was this very heavy, immersive piece that was initially inspired by the Me Too movement, but Mm. um, slowly, because of the research that the students were doing and interviews they were doing, they were drawn to talk more about, um, you know, sexual violence and sexual abuse. Hmm. And so we were very, we thought about ways that we could be really mindful about it, but we wanted it to be something that was very different, because we weren't trying to, you know, exploit the dramatic content. Um, sure. So, it was a, yeah, it was a piece that basically they all would enter into one room that was divided up into four different quadrants, and the audience had to follow everybody from one quadrant to another quadrant to another quadrant mm. as they witnessed, you know, elements of the story. And when things would become extremely... Uh, Sensitive is when they would go into what we call the liminal space, which was represented by these silk aerials that the students would perform on. climb And fall. And right. So, really, we, you know, I I was very lucky to be supported in exploring these non traditional ways to shape art. And the students were given the space to be able to explore how they would craft a narrative. It was, it's really. A wonderful program in that way. We put so much into the students' hands.
0: Well, it sounds great. I mean, if you're able to do, you know, what we would consider, you know, pretty mainstream now, anyway, musical like Godspell. And I know you did Little Shop of Horrors a a, a while back, too, right? Or am I imagining Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. But then at the the same time, you can do a devised piece or a new piece. What was this new piece called that they created?
1: Uh, It was called Hashtag Me Too.
0: Okay. Hashtag Me Too. Yeah. And so it really yeah. dealt with what's going on, what was going on at that moment, uh, in society and in culture. So that so you're able to do, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that in your in your teaching job, you're able to bring some of that community awareness and some of that as well to your to your students. And it's just part of the community that you're in there, which is great. Um, yeah. So. I and I know that that you know you teach at 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 Bowie and and as a you know I think I always think of you as a director educator. I know you do a lot of other things. I know you're a choreographer. I know you're an actor as well. You've performed around town in some of the, the major theaters I know. And you also, uh, do you write as well your own or do you, do you tend to write your own pieces ever?
1: I have. Um, it's ironic that most of the pieces that I've, when I think about like what pieces I've written, the things that I guess have more attention are the stories and you know musicals that i've created for youth audiences oh yes uh, yeah so Part of that stems just from my background. Initially, doing a lot of youth theater, sort of early in my career as a performer, and that was shaped by just the, the lifestyle I had. And you need to find things were family friendly. I'm a mother of seven, uh, so oh, wow. kids were always coming to rehearsal with me, and that's just the way it was. Wow!
0: Wait, so- you're you're a mother of seven, and you have 45 minutes to talk to me? I'm impressed that yeah. <laughs> you found that time. <laughs> now I'm really feeling like okay, we we, we better use your time wisely. Uh, wow, that's amazing. And so I know that you did recently uh, a production called The Magical Piñata at Keegan. Was that part of a children's um, theater piece at Keegan?
1: Yeah, so Keegan Theater has something called PlayrecA, which is for family audiences. The Magical Piñata is written by Karen Zacarias, oh, who yes. is a DC-based playwright. She's Mexican-American, yes. and the score is by Deborah wicks Puma, mm. who actually is, a you know, they're both friends of mine. They're just wonderful, amazing artists, but it's a piece that
0: celebrates mexican culture oh wow i'm so sorry i missed it i meant to go see it and it was just i was working on like three other shows at the same time and it, i couldn't get myself to keegan to see it but i i know the actors and i know i saw um some production stills and i was really excited but i've heard wonderful things so that's wonderful and so obviously you're able to do all these different types of things you're working on directing pieces and and and, and but as a woman director right and, and a latinx woman director do you find that it's often i mean because we at least for me my experience has been as a when i was a performer and also as working as a choreographer only recently, and it's been wonderful, have I had a chance to work with a lot of female directors. And in, in the beginning when I was working, it was a lot of male directors. And now I'm getting to work with women, which I love to do, uh, and collaborate with women, which I feel like I collaborate with better. I don't mean to be sexist, sorry guys, but I just collaborate better with women. Um, and so now there seem to be finally a few more women that are able to, to direct, but you're one of those in DC that is working at, at you know, at 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 that at the professional level, doing musicals as well as non-musicals, um, what is it like as a, a Latinx woman uh, directing in what is a very m- white male-dominated profession? Still, what do you what have you been encountering? What do you or have encountered? I know you've been doing it for a while.
1: Well, I think that one thing I realized early on in my career was that I needed to make sure I made opportunities for myself. Mm. So I when I first started out, not only did I audition for pieces, but I actually embarked on creating like a one woman storytelling show. Again, you know, shaped by conditions in my life had to be something that was family friendly. So great. And Mm. I did that for a long time uh, alongside performing and, you know, exploring choreography and then also working with smaller theaters and collaborating with one other women artists who were in similar positions and so so much of what i found is is not necessarily the side that i'm going to sit there and say was you know things blocking me or negative or whatever it's more a matter of me just saying to myself right from the bat i'm in a different position in this world and i am going to make sure that i have opportunities to explore this art that i really love and to make this my life Mm -hmm. and That means that I don't need to silo myself into one position, and I better not silo myself into one position. I better look at myself as being, you know, a multidimensional artist so that I can enjoy this art form and share with others. Hmm. And I think that's so much of what I try to impart with my students, too. I'm like, don't wait for other people to hire you, hand you their art. You have art that you can create and that's in demand because your voice is necessary. And I think over time, that's what I really started to realize as a you know, as a Latinx director, as a you know, as a female director in a male heavy industry is that no matter what, I need to be true to the vision and the voice that I have. And I will go to those spaces that welcome that. Mm. And you know, and that's that's fine because we all have different art that we're sharing. I know that where mine needs to be, and that's, you know, and that's different from somebody else's. And that's okay. Right. But I think also in this moment now, this is such an interesting moment and a pivotal moment for theater, particularly when you think about what's going to happen to the arts ecology. Hmm. What is going to happen with us being shut down so long? And some of us who have been experimental and on the fringe and all these different terms and you know presenting performance in different ways in some ways we've been set up for this time to be able to try to shape our art in a different way because we've been doing that for years and finding alternate spaces
0: right and how do you how do you get the information to the audience right that's how i the most basic Way. How do you get the art to the audience? And it, you know, yes, we do live, but live doesn't necessarily mean we all have to be in the same room. Always. Although, you know, that you need a space, but what is that that concept of space? Where is the space? <laughs> if we're all in the same Zoom chat room, is that the same space? You know, <laughs> we can hear and see each other. Yeah, it's definitely going to be, and I think you're right, the, 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 the people who have more experience in being multifaceted and doing all the different pieces and being creative and, and not being stuck in just one type of theater or one type of way of delivering theater are going to survive. I think you're right. Yeah. And you have, you've been doing for now over 25 years, a lot of these different things, you know, and that's what I, I like about looking at your experience and talking to you, because you have, you can on a dime turn and do a musical and do Godspell or Hands on a Hard Body that you did at Keegan, or, you know, the, the in the Heights that you were going to do. But you can also do a piece like A New Nation, or you can do, you know, those other Pieces and to be able—that's a quite a range, a stylistic range to have as an artist, and I think that that's going to keep you busy for a long time.
1: <laughs> I hope so. <laughs>
0: yes. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. I really appreciate you taking this time uh, with American Theater Artists Online to talk to us. And I just wanted to plug one more time: June twelfth and thirteenth, right? Can you talk more about that? June twelfth and thirteenth. Yes. Snapshots. Yes,
1: that's right. So June twelfth will be on How TV. Uh, at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And then June thirteenth, 2pm, we should be airing from our Facebook page for Convergence Theater. And is there a icon?
0: Oh, good. Yes. And is there a charge? Are people expected to pay, uh, donate something? So
1: we, we would love for people to be able to support our art. I think the other thing we're finding in this time is that because things are virtual, we're creating more accessible theater because theater should be available to everybody. Absolutely. We really hope that people will support us and those who have the means will be able to donate. And for those who you know, need the access to the arts and cannot at this time, this art is still there for you.
0: Great, so it's almost like on a sliding scale. And those who can, can give, and so the donations uh what well, well, can happen th- there will be weird there'll be information on where to donate on the Facebook page right at that's, some point that's correct on convergence theater okay great well elena thanks so much i don't want to take any more of your time as i know you got you got to go to, to tend to your family that you, you know and, and so uh, thank you so much for spending this time with us here and i truly truly appreciate it and i can't wait for us to hopefully work together uh, again soon thank you
1: so much for sharing this time with me
0: thanks elena bye bye yeah,
1: together Hi. Uh,
0: thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.